Welcome to the Australian Physiotherapy Association podcast. I'm your host, Courtney White, and here with me is my co-host, Katie Whitaker. What we're talking about in this particular branch of the APA podcasts is not only just the breadth of physiotherapy, but we're really wanting to get down to brass tacks about some of the really common health issues and some of the not so common health issues across Australia, and hopefully start to bust some of the health myths that are still part of our common vernacular. In this episode, we are talking all things female pelvic health. We will dive into conditions relating to bladder and bowel health in adults and children, sexual dysfunction, pelvic pain, period pain, as well as conditions relating to pregnancy, menopause, and pre and post surgery. So let's dive in. Okay, so we are really lucky today to have our fantastic chair of our men's, women's and pelvic health group with us in the studio today, Kath Willis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. It's nice to be down in Melbourne. Yes, in the lovely weather. Yeah. It's really put it on for you this morning. <laughs> okay, so what we really need to mention here is that we're going to be talking about all things female pelvic health on this episode. We are going to touch on male pelvic health at a later date, but there's just too much to talk about in one podcast. So we will rendezvous again soon and talk about men. Today we are going to try and cover how physiotherapy can help with things like pregnancy, pre and postpartum for women, incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain and period pain. So Kath, can you tell us a little bit about what some of the more common issues that women encounter are and how physiotherapy kind of can intervene in yeah. that arena? Of course. So a lot of members of the public probably only come across a women's health physio for the first time during pregnancy because they might have some issues or complaints like pain around the pelvic joints or possibly even some incontinence. So that might be the first time that they go and see a women's health physio. I like to encourage women who are pregnant in general to be in touch with a women's health physio though because it's important for looking at prevention of different issues during pregnancy. We want our pregnant population to exercise regularly and we want them to exercise safely and that can prevent a whole lot of issues, for example, like joint pain and issues with bladder control, but can also just help with general well-being during pregnancy. And simple things like pregnant women complain so much about not being able to sleep well at night. So mm. there are exercises mm. and stretches and relaxation techniques that physios can incorporate, can teach women that can be really helpful. I don't know about you, Court, but I really want to know a bit more about how physio can help with period pain. Women can experience a variety of symptoms, but often this time of the month can be accompanied with pain and cramping. I'd love to get some advice on how to manage some of these symptoms and how physiotherapy can help us. And is there anything else we can do across the rest of the month that will help us prepare for our periods or help with those symptoms? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So I think it's important to acknowledge, first of all, that period pain itself is not normal. And a lot of teenage girls and women seem to think that it's normal for them to have significant pain when they've got their period or prior to their period starting. So 
You imagine a 13-year-old girl from her very first period, she has pain, she's missing school, she's feeling miserable. It can start a whole cycle that continues into adult life. So for girls who are missing two or three days a month of school, that has a significant impact on their education, Mm. their ability to potentially go to university or find a job and have a decent standard of living. So that's really a a women's equality or or women's rights issue. Teenage girls are also probably less likely to talk about their period pain to maybe their mum or their GP. They're not really going to put their hand up and say, this isn't right, none of my friends have this pain, what can you do to help me with this? So that kind of sets them up with a mentality that their body or their health is not as important as somebody else's. And then they can start to develop other associated symptoms with their bladder and bowel. And that's that's a huge conversation in itself. But as a quick example, if we've got pain when we've got our period that might make our pelvic floor muscles more tense or overactive and that can have a big impact on how frequently we have to go to the toilet to empty our bladder or how easy it is to to pass a bowel motion so there's a huge sort of range of things that can come about as a result of period pain But the good news is that there's some fantastic evidence now that's come from a researcher in New South Wales called Jane Chalmers and also a doctor who she works with called Mike Armour and they've looked at some really simple conservative things that can help with period pain and some of them a lot of women and girls would already be aware of like using heat packs. But one of the things that's got great evidence is gentle exercise. So going for a slow walk, doing some gentle yoga stretches. And there are particular times of the month that you could do that. So the evidence has shown that maintaining regular exercise through all parts of the month is really important, all parts of the cycle. And then when you get to that time when you're expecting your period and you might have increased pain, that might be when you incorporate some extra yoga stretches as well. So that's, I think, really just backs up our whole physiotherapy message of exercise as as medicine. So I think for for teenage girls with period pain or women with period pain, it's important to push that message of, of exercise as medicine. And then that's going to help to prevent other complications down the line, such as excessive weight gain, which can have a big impact on, on women's well-being as well. Mm. Now, one of the other things that I really strongly push for with with teenagers and women with period pain is is using simple things like TENS machines as well. With some of our electrotherapies, they got sort of thrown out the window several years ago due to a lack of significant evidence to, to back their use. However, TENS machines can be a good option for pain relief Teenage girls can't really take heat packs to school and keep heating them up. Same thing on the work, in the workplace. But a TENS machine, you can get small, portable, digital TENS machines that you can apply to your lower back or lower abdomen, which gives you good pain relief during the day. And that might be the difference between missing two or three days of work or school each month. And it also means that you're not relying on pain medications all the time as well. Yeah, that's so true. But for people who maybe don't know, like me, what a TENS machine is, could you just elaborate a little bit on that and let us know where you might be able to find one? Of course. So TENS stands for transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, which 
basically means a gentle electrical current that passes through the surface of the skin and has an effect on certain sensory nerves in the body which can help to almost immediately relieve pain but also sort of stimulate your body to release its own endorphins which can have a pain relieving effect over the long term as well. You can order TENS machines online so in Australia we have websites such as pelvicfloorexercise.com.au that sells TENS machines. For my own two daughters I found them a a really cute little TENS machine from the United States that was a bit more expensive but it's really really small it's like half the size of an iPhone so that's been really good for them because they can wear that to school and no one even knows they've got it on so awesome yeah but I I encourage I encourage teenage girls or women to, to go and see a women's health physio to get the appropriate education about how to use a TENS machine too Yeah, absolutely. That's so important, especially because you see um, a lot coming out, especially in the media at the moment around women's pain and sort of, you know, the wider medical profession and sort of where that's believed to be real pain or anything like that. So it's it's really it's really interesting to hear you say Mm. that that's a big part of it. So awesome. One of the other things to be aware of too is that there's a lot of media attention currently on endometriosis because Mm. we now have the Australian government's endometriosis action plan or national plan. But a lot of women can have period pain but they don't have endometriosis. Mm. So just because they don't get a diagnosis of endometriosis doesn't mean that there's a valid reason that they have pain. Okay, so I think you touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast about seeing a physiotherapist for pregnancy. Um, I just want you to elaborate a little bit more on that and how it can help in the recovery process after giving birth? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So a lot of women in Australia will go to antenatal classes where they will learn about how to do pelvic floor exercises. But for a lot of women, especially expecting their first baby, they might not have any issues with their bladder control. And even after having their baby, their bladder control might still be pretty good depending on what kind of delivery that they've had. But I think that just being aware of your pelvic floor muscles and the impact that they can have on your bladder control is important just in case you do end up with symptoms later on. So I think that that education is important as a preventative measure. I'd really love to see in Australia that that we have standard practice where every woman who gives birth sees a women's health physio in hospital after they've had the baby and also follows up at six weeks as well so that particularly if women have issues with pelvic joint pain or a significant abdominal muscle separation, which is called a DRAM, or if they've had a traumatic delivery, for example, the baby had to be delivered with forceps or they had an episiotomy or some tearing with stitches, that they get followed up by a women's health physio as well. These types of deliveries can lead on to a lifetime of issues for women, for example, with things like urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence and pain with sex, which can have a big impact on on a woman's self-esteem. I'm just picking up on that dram that you mentioned. Is there anything that women can do in the lead up to their birth that could potentially help with avoiding things like that? Unfortunately, the risk factors for developing a DRAM or abdominal muscle separation are things that are sometimes out of our control. For example, um, the age of the pregnant woman or whether she's carrying more than one baby Mm. and also the size of the baby as well. So I can't give you a magic formula. I can't tell you that if you do 100 sit-ups a day, you won't ever get a DRAM. I think that 
Exercising throughout your pregnancy is important though because it does help with muscle strength in general and potentially that will have an effect on your recovery after you've had your baby. Mm. But again, seeing, seeing a women's health physio soon after birth for a proper assessment and diagnosis of a DRAM is important. Yeah, absolutely. Just picking you up on that exercise during pregnancy point that you made there, there's a lot of quite conflicting information around exercise in pregnancy. Can you give us a little bit of an indication on sort of what, I know it's probably going to be different for every woman, but what might be um, standard practice for what women should be doing during their pregnancy? Of course. So we've kind of moved away from 30 to 40 years ago where a lot of pregnant women were, were told to look after themselves and be gentle with themselves. And a lot of women maybe would have stopped exercising regularly just because they were pregnant. Whereas now we've got really good evidence-backed guidelines from organisations like RANSCOG, um, which is our Australian organisation of obstetricians and gynaecologists. And they're really encouraging women to exercise as frequently as other members of the population. So five days a week, doing 30 to 40 minutes of Mm. moderate intensity exercise, you might just need to modify the type of exercise that you were doing before you felt pregnant though. So someone potentially who's been doing a lot of running and heavy weightlifting might need to start to change their exercise and not because of any particular risk to them, but it might get uncomfortable. You imagine that if your breasts have gone up a couple of cup sizes and you've got a belly poking out Mm. in front, you're probably not going to feel that comfortable going for a run and it changes your center of gravity so lifting weights or lifting heavy weights can be quite difficult what's really great though about seeing a women's health physio is that they can assess your exercise needs and a lot of physio practices will have classes specifically for pregnant and postpartum women and that's going to focus on some of the muscle groups and parts of your body that you really need it for so for example during pregnancy there might be a lot of focus on pelvic floor and deep abdominal muscle control. Um, For postpartum, there might be a lot of focus on stretching and strengthening the upper back because looking after a baby, very hard work. You want to make sure that that upper back and your neck and shoulders stay comfortable. That's It's really, really good to hear that uh, women are being encouraged more to exercise and it's not this, yeah, go home and and bed rest kind of attitude. It's really, really great to hear. I wanted to also ask about after you give birth, women are commonly told to not exercise for those sort of first six weeks. After that, or is that still true? Because that's still, you know, don't exercise during those first six weeks. And then after that, how much exercise can they do? How quickly can they get back into, you know, what they were doing before they were pregnant? And that's a really great question, Katie. And, and again, one that's probably not simple to answer. Um, after giving birth, birth, there are certain exercises that we should focus on. And as a women's health physio, I'm going to tell you, yes, you should do your pelvic floor exercises after <laughs> you give birth. And also start to think about doing some some gentle things like stretching, as we already discussed. Some women who are feeling really well after giving birth, whether they've had a vaginal delivery or a cesarean, could probably start going for short walks much earlier than six weeks. But there's also a belief that that first six weeks after having a baby should almost be a bit of a recovery period where you're 
establishing breastfeeding or if you're not breastfeeding, establishing a feeding routine with your baby, trying to get some sleep, getting friends and family to come over and do cooking and cleaning jobs for you so that you can focus <laughs> on producing milk and resting. Yeah. Um, so I think that that six weeks we have to be a little bit cautious with. But if, but if a woman is feeling well, then there's no reason why she shouldn't go out and go for a walk and do some gentle exercise. One of the big things that's changed probably in the last 10 years or so is the effect of social media on mm. women's body images, mm. feeling that they need to get back into their skinny jeans after six weeks, just like all the celebrities do in the photos. Mm. And that's something that I encourage women to try and block out of their heads as much as possible. Our bodies return to where they need to be in an appropriate time frame. But after six weeks, especially if, if a woman has an opportunity to see a women's health physio, they can have things assessed like their pelvic floor muscles, like their abdominal muscles and other specific groups of muscles in the body that we need for, for strength and carrying our babies. And having that appropriate assessment helps with diagnosis of any issues. And then if a woman's you know, looking healthy and feeling strong, then a women's health physio can help to progress them through exercise as well. So it might be that they progress them from walking slowly back to doing things that are more high impact like jogging or running and looking at Pilates style exercises that can help with strengthening as well. There's no real magic number of when you can safely go back to running because you never know unless you assess someone properly what issues they might be having. But I think for a lot of women, exercise and feeling good about their bodies is an important part of their self-esteem. So enabling them to do exercise, whatever their choice of exercise is, is important to look at. So yeah, if they're, if they're feeling worried about getting back into exercise, just go and see a, a women's health physio and they can sort of assess them and, and see what's appropriate for them, make yeah. it more individualised and targeted. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And women might be really scared after having a baby that they have got abdominal muscle separation or they might have read some horror story in the media about women having prolapses after having a baby. So they might be really scared about what's safe to do. And seeing a women's health physio, you're going to get that proper assessment and, and proper advice about how to get back into exercise in a, in a safe and timely way. Definitely. It is terrifying. It really can be terrifying when you obviously in that whole new situation, you've got a new little person to look after and then you're trying to look after yourself. So I guess that reassurance is a massive part of the recovery process as well. You just mentioned prolapse. I know it's not the most fun topic to talk about, but it's got to be done. So would you mind giving us a little bit of an overview on sort of what it, that entails and how physio can, can help? Yeah, I think um, this is a really good point in time to talk about prolapse because in years gone by, prolapse is something that women may have felt as a symptom. And I'll explain a little bit more about what a prolapse is as well, women may have felt that they had a prolapse or they might have been to a gynaecologist for an internal assessment and have been told that they have a prolapse. And the process was that they would be quite, quite quickly moved on to talking about surgical issues. And you'd really, really have to have been living under a log if you weren't aware of some of the big class actions now around the world to do with um, transvaginal mesh in prolapse repair in surgery. So a prolapse is when you've got 
a dropping or descent of any of the pelvic organs. So it could be the bladder, it could be the uterus, it could be the rectum from, from the back of the vagina as well. And those organs, either one of them or all of them, can drop down into the vagina and cause a feeling of heaviness or a bulge or a lump in the vagina. And sometimes when you've got a prolapse, it can also affect how easily you can empty your bladder or empty your bowel as well, empty your rectum. So there's symptoms that that women can get quite distressed about. One thing that's really important to know is that while having strong pelvic floor muscles is going to give you support for those pelvic organs there's also other tissue in the pelvis called fascia which helps to support those organs as well and unfortunately there's not a huge amount we can do to naturally repair that fascia however if someone's just had a vaginal delivery and their pelvic floor muscles are in a weaker state then it would sort of make sense that you're not going to be going out and doing a whole lot of heavy lifting or if you were constipated you wouldn't want to be straining on the toilet because that's going to potentially put more stretch through the fascia as well. So what women's health physios and gynecologists are encouraging women to do now and and are really sort of encouraging in terms of diagnosis of prolapse is first of all, has the woman even got symptoms of a prolapse? Does she have a bulge? Does she have a lump? Does she have a heavy dragging feeling? If they don't have those symptoms, it can still be important to be assessed or examined because the woman might have some natural, what we call laxity in the walls of the vagina. So that doesn't necessarily mean they've got a prolapse. It just means that there's some increased movement. And When we were all 16 years old, we probably had very good fascia with not very much movement through the walls of the vagina. (laughs) But by the time you're 25 or 30 or 35, even if you haven't had children, you can have increased laxity through the walls of the vagina. So it doesn't mean you've got a prolapse. It just means that, you know, things change as our bodies get older and with gravity. (laughs) Um, So that's a really important thing. Does the woman actually have symptoms? And if she doesn't have symptoms, you don't want to scare them by saying to them, oh, it looks like you've got a prolapse. One day you're probably going to have to have surgery for that. It's better to give them all of the conservative management, which includes pelvic floor muscle exercises, exercising correctly, not straining on the toilet, not doing a whole lot of heavy lifting and maybe even looking at changing how they might do things at work. I've seen a lot of women who work in factory lines where they're on their feet all day and they might not be lifting heavy weights, but they're on their feet all day so they've got that constant drag through their pelvis. So those conservative measures are really, really important to address. And then some women's and pelvic health physios also have extra training to teach women how to use things called pessaries, which can give prolapse more support as well, which are again, is a much more conservative or safer option than thinking about having surgery. Absolutely. And that's the thing. The word prolapse makes people feel like there's something wrong with them. And I recently was invited to join like a consumer Facebook page, which is an Australian women's prolapse support group. And, And you see so many women joining that group each week. And their, their words are, are the same. They're scared. Yeah. They feel like their bodies are broken. They feel like their bodies have failed them. They feel like they'll never be normal again. And they're worried about how much it's going to then get worse as they get older. So yeah. it, it does have a big impact on women's psychological state. Totally. And especially if the first sort of port of call, like you said, was 
surgery. Mm. It's sort of absolutely terrifying. Yes. So it's not and I think thing. there's lots of great options in the community for attending safe exercise classes or groups. So we know, for example, that exercise physiologists are, are great at running exercise groups. What I would still caution women about, though, is that seeing a, a women's and pelvic health physio you're going to get a proper assessment or examination Mm. and diagnosis. And often women's and pelvic health physios will work really closely with GPs and gynaecologists to monitor those symptoms too. Sometimes something that feels like a prolapse is not actually a prolapse. So that's where it's important to have your medical team on board as well. Yeah, definitely. Another symptom often experienced by women is urinary and sometimes faecal incontinence. I think there may be a common misbelief in society that this only occurs after having children. What are the other common causes of incontinence and can it happen at any age? Yeah, that's a really good question, Katie. Some kids, for example, never grow out of of bedwetting. There'll there'll still be a very small percentage of teenagers who might have enuresis or, or bedwetting at least once a week up until they're 18 years old. And they might then be the adults who go on to have issues with something called overactive bladder, where their bladder sends their brain a message to go to the toilet at much lower volumes than the rest of us can hold in our bladders. And then the bladder can also get a bit overexcited and can start contracting before they even get to the toilet. So they can have leakage of urine on the way to the toilet. So that's that's not necessarily something that's related to pregnancy and childbirth. It can be more common in women who have had vaginal deliveries, for example, but that's certainly a symptom that can occur from childhood all the way through the adult lifespan and can happen to men as well, especially with men as they get older, if they can get a condition called BPH or benign prostate hyperplasia, where the prostate at the base of the bladder can become enlarged, that makes it more difficult for them to empty their bladder, but then their bladder is sort of overfilling and they can get some overflow of, of urine. They can get that type of urinary incontinence as well. So it's certainly not something that's just specific for women who have had a baby. Um, with stress incontinence, stress incontinence occurs when we leak urine when we're doing something that requires effort, whether it's a cough, a sneeze, a laugh or jumping. So there's actually a significant percentage of elite athletes, so teenagers even, who can have urinary incontinence. So we know that gymnasts and trampolinists and runners who do hurdling can have significant issues with stress urinary incontinence. So that can occur well before pregnancy and childbirth and it can occur in male athletes in those types of exercise as well. For women, yes, the process, this is something that we just can't get away from with nature, but nature designed our bodies to fall pregnant and have babies. We just can't quite pass that one over to men yet. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Let's hope. (laughs) That's right. So the process of pregnancy and childbirth does put us more at risk of urinary incontinence and depending on the type of delivery we have, it can put us at risk of faecal incontinence as well, especially with really traumatic vaginal deliveries with a big baby or forceps or even with certain types of tears, more significant or longer tears that extend from the vagina back towards the anus. 
There's actually a role of prevention here, though. There are some tools that have been developed that can help predict which women might be more at risk of having these really significant birth injuries. And is it then going to be advisable for them to be counselled to perhaps go for an elective caesarean rather than, than going through childbirth? So that's, that's something that's sort of being looked at and researched as we speak. With faecal incontinence, it can happen to any age group and men or women, especially if someone's had a history of constipation and straining. They can do damage to the sphincter muscles, which might put them at risk then of having faecal incontinence. So, yeah, it's not faecal incontinence and urinary incontinence are not just issues that, that are strictly related to women who have had babies. We know in Australia now, though, that the number of people with incontinence is up to one in three. That's the most recent wow, result wow, yeah. for any type of incontinence across any age group. And unfortunately, the older you get and the more the increased number of other health conditions you have, um, like obesity, for example, or respiratory conditions also increases your risk of incontinence and we know that there's a really scary number of people living in um, residential aged care who have incontinence and unfortunately they're managed really passively they're just put in pads and you know not really managed too well so that's that's a huge area that I think women's men's and pelvic health group and the gerontology group can certainly work towards finding some solutions. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's kind of, I think with the gerontological aspect of it, it is kind of, I mean, even myself, I have to admit, just sort of assumed that that's just sort of part of aging and it's just what happens, um, but obviously not. So that's really interesting to hear. Um, so Kath, obviously when women experience these sorts of conditions, whether it's through pregnancy, whether it's incontinence caused by something else, it can... I'm going to assume, have a bit of an impact on their mental health or the rest of their lives. Have you noticed anything, any correlations between mental health and suffering these conditions or even vice versa, um, having these conditions impacting someone's mental health? Well, first of all, I think that people who have a diagnosis of, of a significant mental health issue will often be on types of medication that can make them really thirsty. For example, lithium can make you really, really thirsty. So someone's on lithium for their mental health condition. They're drinking a lot of water. I've had some patients who come in and they're drinking in excess of four or five litres of water a day due to how dry wow. their mouth feels. That's going to have a really strong impact on how quickly their bladder fills up, how frequently they go to the toilet, if they're trying to hold down a job as well, they're going to get comments from colleagues or managers at work about how frequently they're going to the toilet too. And then probably for those for that patient group, if there is any associated incontinence, it's going to have a bigger impact on them. They're already worried about how others perceive them because of their mental health issue. So if they're having problems with control of urine as well, that's going to, to make that problem that problem worse. When you look at it the other way around, you know, the issue that we talked about earlier with teenage girls with period pain is probably a good example that from the age of 13 or 14, 
they maybe have not engaged in regular physical activity and we know that that impacts on mental health. They might then not be having that opportunity to go out with their friends and have group or social opportunities because of of their period pain. So that's going to make them feel more isolated. So that can then get worse and worse as, as the years go by. Certainly with incontinence, it's probably easier to mask the symptoms or the signs of urinary incontinence than it is faecal incontinence. So with urinary incontinence, obviously want your patient to come and see a women's health physio, try and work out what's causing the problem and and follow the, the correct management for that problem. But while they're having significant symptoms of incontinence and needing to use pads, that can have a big impact on how they socialise. They might not want to go out for lunch with friends because they know that if they have one cup of coffee, they're going to have to run to the toilet and people will notice that. They might have issues with relationships, especially starting new relationships with a romantic partner because they might be worried about whether they're going to have leakage during intercourse. So that can have a big impact on mental health. But by far, in my experience, the patients I've seen with faecal incontinence suffer the most because it's very, very difficult to hide the signs of, of faecal incontinence. And that's why it's good to prevent it in the first place if you can, but also have a really good team with a pelvic health physio and a, and a doctor to, and probably things like a dietitian or a psychologist to help cope with those symptoms as well. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. It's really good to hear that there are lots of options out there and we can, we can get help. We just need to go and, you know, go see a physio or, or go see a specialist and just take that step and, and ask for that help and not feel ashamed or embarrassed about these kind of symptoms because it is quite common. Yeah, that's where other, other physios can help patients with these symptoms as well because you might have a patient who goes to see a physio for shoulder pain or knee pain and as part of the history taking at that initial appointment, the patient might mention that they do have some issues with bladder or bowel problems. So for a sports physio or a musk physio to be aware that a women's, men's and pelvic health physio can help their patient with those other issues is really important. I would encourage other physios to refer on to someone with more experience in the area so that we can deal with these issues and help improve someone's health and, and outcomes. Absolutely. Another question I had, because we've touched on intercourse a little bit in terms of embarrassment and things like that, but what about for those people who actually have a lot of pain during intercourse? Is that something that women's men's public health physios can help with as well and 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 what is it yeah well there, there can be there can be lots of different causes the the word that we use is is dyspareunia which means pain during sex or pain with with attempts at having sex and it might start off as early as with teenage girls finding that they can't use tampons because it hurts too much to try and insert a tampon or they go for their first cervical smear test and the doctor can't insert the speculum to do the test. So there can be lots of different causes of dyspareunia or painful sex. It can be primarily a muscle issue where the pelvic floor muscles are overactive and the pelvic floor muscles can't relax enough to, to allow intercourse to occur. But you can also have nerve ending changes or, or pain caused by the nerve endings through the vulva um, and vaginal opening, which can cause pain too. Mm. So, yeah, if, if, if women with those conditions go to see a women's and pelvic health physio, they can get a thorough assessment 
of exactly what their symptoms are. Is it a muscle issue? Is it a nerve issue? For example, for some women after having babies or going through menopause, it it might be a vaginal dryness issue because Mm. their bodies just aren't producing as much healthy vaginal mucus as they used to. So, So that dryness with sex can cause pain as well. So definitely a whole lot of different areas that women's health physios can help these patients with. And treatment might range from doing gentle pelvic stretching like yoga stretches through to doing pelvic floor muscle down training and breathing techniques to help relax the pelvic floor muscles. It can also then incorporate use of TENS machines as we talked about earlier or even things called vaginal dilators which can be helpful for for gently stretching the pelvic floor muscles as long as there's not too much other nervous or or nerve pain involved (laughs) as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm going to assume it's probably going to be another mental health aspect to a lot of that as well. Both ways, one, if you're experiencing that pain, that's obviously going to have an impact on your life, but also maybe you bringing some other things into that area might have an impact as well. So I suppose that's where the multidisciplinary health aspect comes into it a lot as well. Yeah, and we, we often work really closely with psychologists and sex therapists to help women who have pain during sex. Yeah, awesome. So there'd be a lot of, um, is there a sort of mindfulness, sort of get involved with that kind of thing with, um, you know, if there's a strong neural pathways telling them that there's pain in when they're having sex, but it's not, it's not actually pain or it's retraining the brain to think differently about that pain. Is that sort of some aspect of of what a physio can help with or is that more they need to go see yeah, a psychologist? I think that physios can be really good at providing education on pain and how pain can change our bodies like central sensitization or persistent pelvic pain where someone's had symptoms for um, a number of months. In terms of psychological support and mindfulness, I almost always refer them on to see a psychologist because I think psychologists are fantastic at assessing someone's needs and providing them with the right type of management techniques that that they need so that's why I'm really grateful I get to work with a with a psychologist really closely. Cool. Uh, I actually wanted to ask and we haven't prepped this with you so (laughs) tell me off if you would like but um I'm just thinking about things like hysterectomies as well and other sorts of surgeries that women undergo in the pelvic area. Can physiotherapy help after something like that? Because I know that, I mean, people I know have gone through things like that and it's been a massive, massive impact on their lives and and they've kind of stopped exercising completely because there's a little bit of pain or pressure and they just don't know whether they're doing damage. I'm assuming that that's definitely something you can help with. Can you elaborate on how? Yeah, of course. So there's all sorts of different types of pelvic surgery that, that women could undergo, anything from a laparoscopy to investigate for potential endometriosis through to massive operations like hysterectomies with prolapse repairs and and then suture material that's used to, to try and sort of hitch the top of the vagina back up to the inside of the pelvis so that it doesn't drop down. So, that you know, the types of surgery that women undergo in the pelvic area is quite significant. So probably the two big areas of concern or things to watch out for would be 
a woman who has some type of significant pelvic surgery like a prolapse repair and hysterectomy and might be told by her surgeon that she's okay to go back to work and go back to normal activities and go back to normal exercise within three to six weeks. So that potentially can cause issues with healing time. It can cause issues with recurrence of prolapse as well. It's really important for women after these types of big operations to get back into exercise at a really gradual or or in a staged way and to be focusing on pelvic floor muscle exercises if they need that as well. And yes, Courtney, that's right. On the other hand, you can have some women who think, oh, I've had this surgery. Everything feels a bit painful. I'm not going to go back to the gym. And then all of a sudden, 12 months has gone by and they might have perhaps put on five kilos, Mm. but five kilos can be a significant amount of extra weight to add to the pelvis, which can then start to cause other problems as well. Mm. So I would support for women to be able to see a pelvic health or women's health physio prior to surgery to get appropriate education about what to expect and how to look after themselves after surgery and also to run through the list of conservative management strategies that can help with their symptoms as well but certainly to see a women's and pelvic health physio after they've had their surgery whether it's at four weeks or six weeks and we want to be asking lots of questions about How's their bladder function? How's their bladder control? Can they empty their bladder well? And then similar things for for bowel function as well. Are you opening your bowel regularly? Is it easy to go to the toilet? Are you straining? And then we can start to look at other sort of activities of daily living, like returning to exercise, doing jobs around the house, potentially looking after children as well or, or other family members, just making sure that they've got the support and the education that they need to help their bodies return to normal or to recover. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Kath, we've covered a lot about teenagers and women going through childbirth We haven't really touched much on women sort of um, a little bit later on and going through symptoms like menopause. Can a women's health physio help in this area as well? Yeah, that's a really great question, Katie. I think that we seem to put so much emphasis on what happens to our bodies during pregnancy and after having children, but really the most significant portion of a woman's life is from menopause and beyond because a lot of women will be living for 30 to 40 years after they go through through menopause. So menopause brings a lot of hormonal changes which can have an impact on muscle strength and bone density and if someone's um, started for example to have some issues with their bladder control or some prolapse symptoms after menopause they might be less likely to, to exercise which is then going to further sort of snowball that issue with with decreasing muscle strength and bone density as well so I think Women's and pelvic health physios are really well placed to properly assess and provide exercise and encouragement and support for menopausal and postmenopausal women. So we we want to see that they're engaging in regular physical activity and the physical activity that we want to encourage for that age group might be different to what you were doing when you were 15 or 25. So you really want to be focusing on things like maintaining bone density, starting to look at exercises that help with with balance. 
and maintaining muscle strength as well. So the other thing is that there's a huge social aspect of exercise for women in that age group. If they're getting closer to retirement or they've retired, group exercise can be a really fantastic way of keeping them connected with other people. And we know that group exercise also has a big impact on compliance to exercise programs too. So so I think that's really important that you're looking at not just the physical the physical benefits, but also the emotional and and social benefits as well. Okay, I think that's probably about all we're going to have time for on this particular episode. But I just want to say a massive thank you to you, Kath, just because I think this is really important. It's a really important area to do this sort of myth busting, for want of a better word, um, around a lot of sort of misconceptions and And actually people not wanting to talk about what's happening to them because it can be embarrassing, but it shouldn't be because it's just a part of life. So thank you very much for coming and being with us on the podcast. Thanks so much, Kath. It's been really, really great. I am definitely going to go out and get myself one of those TENS machines. They sound (laughs) incredible. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me, Courtney and Katie. It's been great. Cheers. Thanks.